I want to thank Apostle Thea and Dr. Bev, mom and dad, for the privilege of being able to um, share with you this morning. And if any of you are a little bit cool here this morning, I'm going to preach the fire of God into you. Hallelujah. You're going to walk out of here smoking. <laughs> Praise God. Well, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Amen. Amen. Let the Holy Spirit have his way. Well, last week, Saturday evening, I kind of kicked off a two-part series about don't be scared, be prepared. And last week, we really spoke, the, the sub-theme was, I will come back. I'll deal with that issue a little bit again this morning just to set the scene. But also, we spoke predominantly about faith. And how Jesus said, when I come back, will I find faithfulness on the earth? Faithful as in people filled with faith and with a hand to the plow. So in other words, will Jesus, when he comes back, find us busy with the work of the Lord? That's what he's looking for. And I'm going to spring off from that this morning. This morning's title again is, don't be scared, be prepared, but stand firm. Or you might say, or we're going to talk about the sign of the times. And it's amazing, the Holy Spirit led me in this the week before and during celebration, and I didn't really know what Apostle Theo was going to share until the last minute, and I couldn't wait till yesterday to prepare a message. And it's amazing how God has made this all work together, praise the Lord. So one of the main pillars of our statement of faith is that Jesus is coming back. But when we look around us, there's a crazy world out there. Is there hope for us, Right? And sometimes we see Jesus coming back as a way of saving us and just snatching us from all this wickedness. And that is not our focus. Our focus is that he's coming back because he loves us. Now we might think that all this end time stuff is actually a horror story. But in essence, and really, it's a love story. God loves you. Turn to the person next to you and say, God loves you. Turn to the other one and say, God loves you too. So does the Bible help us with all of this? It sure does. But we see that the whole of the Bible and everything that God spoke about with prophecy is all staging itself. And when you think about the end times, you probably think about wrath. You think about um, all the things, the beast, the tribulation, the mark of the beast, 666. You think you're going to go to Walmart and you scan, bleep, 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 for your groceries and whatever the case. You know, all of those things. And we get overwhelmed by that. But yet, the end times is preeminently about the love of God. And this is very evident in Scripture. Turn to the person next to you and say, God wants you to be prepared, not scared. Turn to the other person and say, don't be scared. God's got this. Right. So let's kick this off. Let's go to our scripture. We spoke last week on John 14. Hear the words of Jesus, and he talks about him coming back. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Hallelujah. I mean, it's good. But evidently, we can let our hearts be troubled. The choice is ours, right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. So if I have a message for you today. That if you are a Christian, you're on the winning side. In fact, I couldn't have better news for you if you are a believer. But if you're not a believer, I couldn't have worse news for you. Those of you watching online, God is for you, but we have to be believers. So he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If they were not so, would I have 
would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? So what Jesus is saying here is, I have to leave. I know you think it's premature, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's not all about earth. It's actually all about eternity. So I have some work to do to prepare a place just for you. And he said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Say that Jesus is coming back. Those four words just fill me with excitement. When he said, I will come back. Why is he coming back? To take you to be with me. He didn't say he's coming back as a rescue mission. But he's coming to take us to be with him. I will come back to take you to be with me. Why? So that where I am, you also may be. Or where, so you also may be where I am. In other words, Jesus saying, I love you. I miss you. I want to be with you. Say that. Jesus is saying that he loves me. He misses me. And he wants me to be with him. (laughs) Now the point is that he could come back at any time. Really at any time. The signs of the times are being fulfilled. And the whole world is staging itself just like biblical prophecy said it would. None of this is taking God by surprise. He already knows what's coming. He's already been there. And this is his past. It's unmistakable that we are in a generation of revival. You might say, what? I'm telling you, it's unmistakable that we are in a generation of revival. You might might look around and say, I don't see that anywhere. Well, let me help you understand. Of the 193 sovereign nations on this planet, the gospel is growing faster than population in all of them except 17. Of those 17, five, it's going backwards, but the other 12, it's in stasis, on the edge, slipping probably in the wrong direction. The United States is one of those 12 where it's shifting in the wrong direction. But that's 17 out of 193 nations. So we as the U.S. are barely in stasis. But there is a massive revival taking place right now in, in Muslim and Hindu nations all around the world. Let's give Jesus praise for that. They are brothers and sisters. Amen. God is working. Jesus is coming back. In fact, there are over 300 references in the New Testament alone on the return of Christ and on end time days. Does the Bible really talk about it? There's a massive part of the Bible that talks about the return of Jesus and the end of days. 216 of the 260 New Testament chapters, that's 83%, talk about Christ's return and the end times. 23 out of the 27 New Testament books, that's 85%, talk about Christ's return and the end of times. That's why it's important to study this. Why does the Bible give this subject of the return of Christ, Jesus coming back, and the end of days, so much real estate? Because it's also the most dangerous time in human history. The craziness, the moral decay, the cultural shifts. The Bible says that many people going through these worldly cultural pressures to conform in these times, that it's going to be rough on them. But God wants us prepared, not scared. 
Say that. God wants me prepared and not scared. He wants us to be prepared to be looking for him and busy about his work, not scared about what the devil thinks is going to win. He's not winning. He's defeated. In Jesus, in Matthew 24, says that the love of many will grow cold. Those are terrible words to me. To think that many that are fervent today, or think they're fervent, might not make it. But we need to be prepared, be prepared, not scared. This is like a bride waiting for her groom. Jesus is coming back for a relationship, not an organization. Not just a church. He's coming back for a bride. The very first thing we do when we get to heaven, like this, is a marriage feast. There's a wedding and a celebration. Now, family, we are supposed to get ourselves ready for that wedding day. Now, have you seen a bride get ready for her wedding day? I just had one. So, eldest daughter married in August, and the other one's going to be in two weeks' time. I'm in the middle of it all. But a bride, when she's getting ready for that day, she's losing weight. She's looking at dresses, and it costs a load of money. Right? It's serious business. And we are supposed to prepare ourselves and be a church on a mission. We must take this seriously if we are to be the generation that will usher in the return of Jesus Christ. And amidst all of this, the Bible wants us to comfort and encourage us with these words. Because Jesus knew we could be looking at what's going around us and be in a bit of fear and trepidation. But he's saying, don't look at what the devil's doing. Don't be more concerned about the devil and know less about the kingdom. There's some Christians who know a lot about what the devil's doing and all the evil stuff, but they don't know much about the Bible. I think you're a part of the wrong family. We need to know more about what God is doing and about the word than we do about the devil's work. Amen. If there's a major takeaway today, then it's this, that God loves you and he wants to be with you. Say that God loves me and he wants to be with me. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And Paul the Apostle addresses this end of days here, writing to the Thessalonians, us writing to us today. And in verse 15 he says, We tell you this directly from the Lord. So who does it come from? From the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Listen, let me tell you, there's, everybody will know something's happened. This is not an in-and-out covert operation. This is fanfare and everything. I mean, everybody will hear it and see it. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now the word caught up here is the Greek word harpozo, which means to snatch, to rapidly grab. And that's in the Latin word, in the translation in Latin is rapter, where we get the English word rapture. So the rapture, the word, is not in Scripture, but the truth is. It's a rapid snatching away of God's family. 
Then we will be with the Lord forever. Say that forever. forever. Hallelujah. So encourage each other with these words. I mean, turn the person next to you and say, say this to them. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> say this. I will be with the Lord forever. Amen. Turn to the other person and say, are you going to be there? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> it's so encouraging to me that it's not about God defeating the devil, overcoming the Antichrist, defeat the enemies of God. Yes, all this will happen, but God's main motivation isn't some wrath, fury, and tribulation. God's main motivation is to be with you, is to be with me, is to be with us. He says, then we will be with the Lord forever. His main motivation is his love for you. Now listen, you have God's Spirit living inside of you. You're divinely created in the image and the likeness of God. Amen? I mean, there's this demonic thing going around and people are pushing this crazy demonic idea that somehow we were just pond scum. And we crawled out the pond and grew a tail. And then we wiggled it so much that it fell off and we started walking on two legs. And we're covered with fur all over. And then the hair fell off, except on the head. And in Pastor Luke's case, all of it. <laughs> I mean, that the devil wants us to believe that we're some kind of from goo to you through the zoo stuff, right? You know, we are not some mere beast. We are creating the image and likeness of God. You're God's child. Hallelujah. That's not who you are. You're a child of the Almighty. You came from God, and we're going right back to God to dwell with Him forever. Can I have an amen, someone? So the real story of the second coming is that Jesus wants you, and He wants to be with you. That's His main motivation. It's a celebration of a wedding, not rescue us from disaster. It's not even on His mind. That's taken care of. You are on His mind. We need to be encouraged with these words. And I want to share with you that there is revival happening around the world, and there is revival at Christian Family Church. Now I thank Apostle Theo that he outlined the major events from a geopolitical and socioeconomic point of view. We need to be prepared, but we must not be scared. We've looked at the why during the week, the what, and let's, I'm trying to bring together this whole thing of when is this likely to happen, the second coming. There are two accounts of when Jesus will return. The one is in Matthew 24 and the other on Luke 21. And both of them are from the mouth of Jesus himself. You can read it in its entirety. There are many signs. Time won't allow me today, but I'm going to mention the high points. So let's read from verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. So we can be deceived. He doesn't want us to be deceived. So he gave many signs, but here are some. And Jesus answered. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. Now, this is just the precursor. It's at the beginning of the end. 
Many generations have claimed that there have been many wars. I mean, first, second world wars. And there have been so many places, times when it was so tragic, people just thought, Jesus, save us. Right? These things have happened. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. Again, we've had those before. And these could be signs in previous generations. But Jesus says, all these are the beginning of birth pains. So Jesus here likens the end times and how to read it, how to determine it. He likens it to pregnancy. Just like in pregnancy, you don't know the day or the hour unless you have a scheduled delivery. Now, Sonia and I, we've been pregnant three times, and she did all the hard work. Hallelujah. <laughs> and out of those three, not one of them was ever scheduled. So we didn't know the day or the hour. But I can tell you, there was a clear difference between her being pregnant one, two, or three months to when she was in her ninth month. I could see the time was ready. The sign was there, right? You know the time is getting close. And I submit to you that we are getting close. And I hope to show you enough evidence this morning that we are in the late eighth to ninth month of Jesus coming back. Jesus goes on in verse 36 of Matthew 24. He says, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So when you hear a person say, hey, I know when, the day or the hour, 1988, they wrote a book, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. 88 turned into 89, said we made a mistake. There are actually 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989. <laughs> if he came back, we're in trouble, right? Okay. Well, he didn't come back. No, no one knows except the Heavenly Father. But we can see the hour, we can see the times. And there are two major signs that we need to study today, two major categories to understand the times. The first one is the increase of wickedness, right? And the second one is the increase of the gospel. And here, let's go back to what Jesus says about this in Matthew 24, verse 9. So when the Bible talks about wickedness, it's saying that things are going to get much worse. It's going to get really bad. And Jesus says, when you will be hand, then you'll be handed over to, the, to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Now, if we just closed the book and went home now, we'd all feel real bad, right? Praise God, there's always a but. The question is, are we as the modern-day Christian church ready for this? I don't think so, personally. Are we ready to be mocked, hated, canceled? I'm so grateful that our pastor, Apostle Theo, Dr. Bev, are preparing us to be prepared and not be scared. And Jesus continues, says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. That's so sad. Unfortunately, there'll be some who won't be able to handle it. And they will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many more. Because, Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Turn to a person next to you and say, stand firm. Be prepared. Turn to the other person and say, stand firm. Be prepared. 
Paul addresses this when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1. He says, but mark this, verse 1, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, let's just pause there. That word terrible is the same Greek word that is used to describe the demoniac in Gennesaret when Jesus went across and cast the legion of demons out of him. So it's, it's re- re- truthfully translated saying there will be demonic times in the last days. That is accurate. There will be demonic times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. That's kind of a definition of Instagram right there. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, (gasps) having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form of godliness and denying its power. I'm so glad that we in this church make room for the Spirit of God to move. We don't deny God's power. Amen? Amen. Then he says this. He says, have nothing to do with such people. The Bible warns us to have nothing to do with this. But it's not that easy when you're living in the middle of it. Experts in the field of sociology, missiology, those who study missions, and historians all agree that the United States is in what they call late decadence right now. Decadence means in decay. We are decaying morally, and there has never been a society in history, listen carefully, there's never been a society in history that has recovered from the point that the United States is in currently. If we do recover, we will be the first in 5,000 years of recorded history. The deconstruction of the nuclear family the, the gender confusion, sexual immorality, that the Bible calls all this degrading, how we're acting one towards the other, the breakdown of how God defines and sees sexuality. The Bible calls this degrading. The, the loss of respect for life. I mean, there's killing in the streets almost daily. Fighting for the right to kill the unborn. It's just decadence. And I'm not saying that. All these experts are. It's not only here. It's all around the world. And I heard this quote recently. I thought, this is so amazing. From the founder of Dubai, the late Sheikh Rashid from the house of Maktoum. He was once asked about the future of his country. And he replied, my grandfather rode a camel. My father rode a camel. I ride a Mercedes. My son rides a Land Rover. And my grandson is going to ride a Land Land Rover. But my great-grandson is going to have to ride a camel again. So they were perplexed and they said, why? Why is this? And his reply was, hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create difficult times. Many will not understand it, but you have to raise warriors, not parasites. And then he continues, he says, and add to this, that the historical reality that all great empires, the Persians, the Trojans, 
the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, and in latter years, the British, all rose and perished within 240 years. And they were not conquered by external enemies, but rotted from within. Amazing that today, the United States is 246 years old. We're on the edge. We need to increase our prayer for America. This is where God planted us, and this is our immediate place to plow the ground for Him. Amen? But 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, God says, If my people humble themselves and turn from their sin and pray, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. We're not waiting on God. God is waiting on the church. There is hope. There's always hope with God. But we have to do our bit, family. We've been putting our foot on the gas, but I'm saying now, this is like the fast and furious. There's always another gear. No matter how fast you're going, there's always another gear with God. Let's keep our foot on the gas, amen? Now, you might be asking, what makes this generation, our generation, so unique? It's not the signs, but it's, all, it's that all these signs are being fulfilled at the same time. Let me share this with you. I mean, we know there's worldwide technology. Revelation 11 tells us that the two witnesses, probably Moses and Elijah, will challenge the Antichrist, he'll kill them, and the whole world will see their bodies lying in the streets. It could not happen until our generation. Let me share more things with you. The worldwide commerce mark, the chip in the hand. There's a company that put it in all their staff. It was in the New York Times a few years ago, a company in Wisconsin. Everybody, you want to be part of our company? You have to take the mark and they use it for biometrics, in, out, and pay, and everything else. There was a company in South Africa, probably 15, 18 years ago, in, in the middle town between Joburg and Johannesburg and Pretoria called Midrand, and they tested a whole department volunteered to have a microchip implant so that they could interact with the company, computers, and everything else. That technology already exists. And all these points, four points point to the fact that we're in the eighth or ninth month. It's be- Again, it's because all of this is happening at the same time. But here's some good news. Who's ready for some good news? Hallelujah. Not only is there an increase of wickedness, but also an increase of the gospel spreading. There will be a mighty revival. Hallelujah. It's going to get worse, but the good is going to get better. Say that. The good's going to get better. (laughs) Here's what Jesus said about in Matthew 24, 14. He said, and this gospel, this good news of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So what is happening on the gospel side? The word here, nations, is not talking about countries with geographical boundaries. It's the word, Greek word, ethnos. It means ethnic groups. So there are 193 sovereign nations, as I mentioned to you before, but there are 7,106 different languages among those. 193 sovereign nations, 7,106 ethnic dialects or languages. Right? The Wycliffe Global Alliance has translated... Their figures, the latest figures are the Bible in total, in portion, New Testament, and others like the book of Psalms 
has been translated into 3,589 languages. It covers out of the 8 billion or so people on the planet, we can cover 7.14 billion people in their own language. 97% of the world's population has a Bible or some part of the Word of God in their own language dialect. Praise God. So if we can get it to all of them, the end will come. This is the first time in human history that has been a generation that has seen the spread of the gospel like the one we're currently living in. From the time of the cross, if I had to put it on a graph, some of you like facts and figures. Here's my graph, right? If from the time of the cross to 1970, the graph is relatively flat. From 1970 to 2020, the graph goes exponentially up. There have been more people saved in the last 50 years than in all the 1,970 years prior. Because in 1970, there were 1.2 billion Christians on the planet. In 2020, 2.6 billion. More than 1.4 billion were added. More than double what was first saved in the first 1,970 years. There's never been a generation that you and I are living in that has seen the gospel spread more than we have. Praise God for that. Let's give Him praise, family. And you know what? As Christian Family Church, we are directly involved in that. We are involved in North India where there's so much persecution. People are being killed. Our brothers and sisters are being killed every day. The figures I had from about 10 years ago that more than 250,000 Christians that are known of are being killed and persecuted and martyred every single year in Muslim and Hindu nations. We don't even know about that. But yet, as Christian Family Church, we are planting churches there. More than 1,300 churches that we, as an organization, plant. More than 70 Bible schools. And I don't know how many members we have, people that we affect. But God is working, and we have the privilege of being part of it. We're spreading the gospel in Cuba. And throughout our city, we just do what we need to do, and God does everything. If we just do our little bit, if I can do my thing, I'll just be a small hinge, because together we can all swing big doors. And I've got some more good news for you. Everywhere that the gospel has been introduced, there is poverty is falling drastically. And poverty is important to many people. It should be, right? But be assured that the number one, number one contributing factor to the decline of poverty is the gospel. I can prove it to you. In 1990, 52% of this world was in extreme poverty. Can you believe it? In 2017, 27 years later, 16% of the world was in extreme poverty. In the year 2022, 9.2% of the world is in extreme poverty, only five years later. And nearly 100% of the decline is in the areas where they've been newly Christianized, where the gospel has been spread, where the Bible has been introduced, missionaries have gone, that's where poverty is being diminished. Let's give Jesus praise for that. Now you might say, what of the remaining 9.2%? Well, of the remaining 9.2%, 90% of that, there are no Bibles, no churches, and no missionaries at this time. The curse is there. When the word comes, the curse goes. Here's another sign, verse 15, Matthew 24. So when you see us, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, 
spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Now, we probably don't understand, so let me help understand here. The book of Daniel, six chapters on history, six chapters on end-time prophecy, right? And Daniel saw 490 years of future events, and it's referred to as the 70 times 7, 77s. Are you ready for this? 483 years of this has, has been fully and exactly come to pass, fulfilled in detail. Out of the 490 years, 483 of what Daniel prophesied has come to pass to exact detail. You can study it for yourself. But there are seven years that remain. Do you know what those seven years are? It's the tribulation. That's all we're waiting for now. In verse 12, in Daniel 12, uh, we read this. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, that's a book of life, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Say, that's me. And God is saying, those who spread the gospel will shine like stars in the heavens forever and ever and ever. There's a special reward for God's children that are purposefully going out there and spreading the gospel. And you know what? Every one of us is commissioned to do so. There are many other signs to do that, but he also talks about the increase of knowledge and traveling to and fro. You can read that. Um, we can, I can get on, go to probably Houston now, fly to Atlanta and be in Australia late tomorrow in 24 hours. We can travel anywhere. 100 years ago, you traveled 20, 30 miles and that was it. But today we can travel and the Bible talks about coming and going, being rapid. It talks about knowledge increasing. In 1950, it probably took 24 years, 25 years up until then for knowledge to increase every 25 to 50 years. From then onwards, it became once every two years. Now, scientists are saying that of today, knowledge seems to be increasing every 24 hours. The Bible spoke about the knowledge shall increase and multiply. All these things are coming together. Here in Daniel 12, verse 8, I heard what you said but I did not understand what you meant. That's a good husband verse right there, gentlemen. I heard what you said, but I don't understand what you meant. <laughs> so I asked, my Lord, what will come of all of this? In other words, how will this end? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. And you can read, then he goes on, talks about the tribulation, about 3.4 years and 3.6 years of time good and time real bad, right? You can read that. I need to move on a little bit with that. And he says, this is now what I want to land the plane on. We look at all of this. All these signs are coming together. And in our time, in this generation, the wickedness and the spreading of the gospel, both in such intensity that we have to be in the late period of pregnancy. This baby is about to be born. 
So what should our response be? I would like to know, what am I supposed to be doing? What is my response? Do you want to know? Come on, do you want to know? What should our response be? Peter writes to the church in 2 Peter 3.10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So to many people, the day of Jesus comes back will be a big surprise. They were not expecting it. But not to you, right? We've been prepared, praise the Lord. God doesn't want you to be scared, but he wants you to be prepared. Be ready, be ready. We want to go on the first elevator. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now you might say, you know, Pastor, I've listened. And I don't know if I believe this. That's not going to change it. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That's what we want to know. What kind of people should we be then? And there are two responses to the two major signs of increased wickedness and spreading the gospel. He says, number one, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Say that. I ought to live a holy and godly life. In other words, family, we're going to have to make a choice in the middle of a decaying culture where morals are slipping so fast and the world is expecting the church to embrace it. We have to be saying, no, no, no. We can't just disagree. That's what they're saying to us. No, no, no. You can't. We can't just disagree. You have to agree with us or we're just going to cancel you out. Right? No, no. We must stand firm. And I am saying to you, we are going to stand firm. Amen? We are not going to conform. But we also won't be mean about it. Right? God didn't send us into the world to judge the world. He sent us to love the world. To show Jesus to them. Sin and the world's already been judged. It is all about showing them the hope of Christ. We're not to be mean about this. But we are not to compromise either. And then he continues in verse 12. As you look forward to the day of God. As we look forward to that day. And speed its coming. Hmm. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Did you know that you and I, that we can speed up the return of Christ? Hmm. Did you know that Jesus is not only coming because he's waiting for more people to be saved? I can imagine in heaven. Every day, Jesus gets up, says, Father, today's the day. Father says, Son, go get him. And he jumps on his horse. Now, this is not in the Bible. I'm imagining. On the horse. And he's just about to take off because he wants to be with you. If you read in Revelation 22, three, four times, three times, he says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. I've got my gifts to reward you with me. I can't wait to get them to you. You're my bride. I'm coming soon. It's amazing how urgent Jesus is to get to us, to be with us. And I can see him on that horse about to go. And the father says, oh, hold on, son. Grabs, by, grabs him by the rope and pulls him down and says, hold on, Jesus. Just one more getting saved. Just one more getting saved. There's another one getting saved. There's another one getting saved. Peter says, God is not slow as we think he is slow. He's being patient so that you, for your sake so that you can get born again. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's the father of all fathers. He loves a big family. So how, what should our two responses be as we end this? Number one, follow God and not culture. 
We can't shift and bow to culture, family. If you do, you will take the mark. You will end up in the tribulation. And you might grow extremely cold to a point where you might not make it. Because the culture of the world will consume you totally. Don't follow the culture. Follow God. Turn to person next and say, I must follow God. <laughs> Number two, make an eternal difference with our lives. This is what we're called to do. We're not called to be passive. We heard this week, we are called to go forth and occupy till I come. Jesus said, occupy until I come. Those words have not changed. We are to be on the offensive. We keep our foot on the gas. We are not buckling down, waiting to be rescued. We are forward. We are pro we're taking ground. We are moving. We're spreading the gospel. We're giving the word to all the different people. Poverty is leaving. Blessing is coming. We are moving forward. People are glorifying Christ. They're looking forward to it. The family of God is advancing in the earth. God says, I'm coming back for a glorious church, not one that's in the hole hiding and defending itself. Sorry, I just get excited about this. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus says, Then they gathered around him. These are the last words recorded of Jesus before he ascended before their eyes. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you now the political solution? Are you going to sort this out? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father has set by his own authority. And I can imagine them just thinking, oh. And then Jesus continues, says, but. Oh. Praise God, there's always a but. But Jesus redirects them. We can get so focused on the evil, we need Jesus to go, but. Change your focus. Right? He said, give and it shall be given to you. Oh. He always gives us a picture of the future. It's encouraging and comforting. He says, he said to them, but. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, don't be concerned about what's happening around and when I'm coming or not. I'm coming. You can see all the signs. It's in the last days. But... Be comforted, encouraged. The Holy Spirit's in you. I filled you with my power. Preach the gospel. Be busy. Be out there doing what we need to do. Promote the kingdom of Jesus. Don't sit back and wait. The one who received one talent and hid it in the ground did not promote. He suffered loss, was cast out, right? It's the ones that received the talent and did something with it that the Lord commended, promoted, and celebrated. So the two responses. One, I don't have a carnal spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. Say that. I don't have a carnal spirit. I have a Holy Spirit in me. And then we're out there making a difference because we're going to witness to our city, to our state, to our nation, and to the world. Amen? Can I even amen someone? Amen. So how do we live? We live like Jesus is coming back tonight, possibly tomorrow. Be ready all the time. Don't be scared. But we strategize and plan our outreaches as if there's still a lot of time to be done, a lot of time to come, because there's a lot of work to be done. But if we do Albert, make a difference where you are right now. And if you don't know what it is you're called to do, get on growth track. We'll help you discover the gifts, talents God's put inside of you so that you can 
be contributing and be fulfilled and know that when I get to heaven, my ladder was leaning against the right wall, not the wrong wall. We don't want to go get to eternity and suddenly realize we believe the lie. We know we're believing the truth. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you. We pray and ask you to help us to get ready. We want to be the end time generation who shines and shares your love and never compromises. Thank you for keeping us strong. We stand firm, Lord. The grace of God sustains us. And Lord, we won't be those who are asleep, but God, we are awakened by your scriptures. Thank you for guiding and directing us and showing us the urgency of the hour. You've given us the playbook on how we are to live in these last days, to be prepared to stand firm. God, we pray that you help the church in every way. We pray for our brothers and sisters in those areas where there's persecution, but we thank you that multitudes are being born again even as we speak this morning. Let us respond to Christ, living our lives to spread the good news of Jesus everywhere we can. In Jesus' mighty name. And all those in agreement said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. I trust you were encouraged and comforted by the word this morning. Hallelujah. Praise God.